Psalm 32. Thank you for reminding the pastor where he's supposed to be preaching from. Psalm 32 is one of the seven penitential psalms. I think Psalm 32, I often see it, it seems like it goes hand in hand with Psalm 51. And it's truly during a time of David's life where he's writing about. But what we look at is in this psalm, we see it as a psalm of confession. There is in our day and time uh, those who make very light of sin. And that's not just unbelievers, believers also. There are sins that are not as gross and immoral in some people's sight. But let me tell you, if it's sin in the sight of God, it's something that God hates. Whether it's sins of the heart that only you can see and only you know about. The secret sins. We need to see the seriousness of sin. In this psalm, what David does, he teaches us concerning how sin affected his life and how God blessed his life once he confessed sin. There was a, there's a preacher by the name of Steve Lawson. He quoted a preacher that was a Methodist preacher from years ago named J. Wilbur Chapman. J. Wilbur Chapman had a man uh, he knew that was a minister in Australia. This Australian pastor, what he would constantly do, he'd constantly preach on sin. And as he preached on sin, there were certain people in the church that approached him and told him to not to be speaking so plainly about sin because if you continue to speak plainly about sin like you keep doing, our young people become worse sinners. They'll take it up and start practicing sin more. From what J. Wilbur Chapman said, this pastor did. He got up from his desk as this person was talking to him, went over to a cabinet, got a bottle out. What was labeled on that bottle was, let me think, get the name of it, strychnine. Now, strychnine is like rat poisoning. So they had it labeled on the bottle, rat poisoning. Now, you know, if I saw a bottle with rat poisoning on it, I don't think I'd want to be handling that bottle too much. It's something that can kill you too. So he said to the man who was talking to him, he said, I believe with this strychnine label, this rat poisoning, I believe I need to replace it and put something milder on it for a label. Maybe I could put the essence of peppermint on this bottle. Of course... I believe the guy started to understand what the pastor was talking about. Ultimately, what the pastor told him, he says, the milder you make the label, the more dangerous you make the content. And even so, the lighter you make of sin, the more dangerous you make sin to be in the people's lives, whether it's young people or older people. I think we've come to a point or we've made too light of sin in all aspects of life. In Psalm 32, I want you to notice what David writes. He starts out telling about the blessedness of confessed sin. Now, I want you to get a time frame of what's happening here. 
If you can go back in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 15. In 2 Samuel the 15th chapter... a little further. In chapter 11, what you have is the incident in David's life of the adultery he committed with Bathsheba. Also in chapter 11, what you have is the murder of her husband, Uriah the Hittite. But in chapter 12, said, The Lord sent Nathan unto David. David had committed this, committed this sin, and he committed sins to cover the sins and lied about the sins and was basically being deceptive in his life. Now, you've got to understand this is a child of God. Probably lived like this for probably about a year, months on end. And then in chapter 1 or chapter 12 and verse 1, the Word of God says, The Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him, said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich, the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup, lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. That little lamb was part of the family. There came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. David had committed sins. He was concealing those sins. His life was miserable because of those sins, as we're going to read in Psalm 32. And until God sent Nathan, David was still in sin. When Nathan pointed the finger at him and said, Thou art the man, thus saith the God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, I gave you your master's wife, your master's wives, or master's house, master's wives, into your bosom. I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You've killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife and have slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall not depart from your house because you have despised me and you've taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house and I will take 
thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the sun. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, and before the sun. David said to Nathan, it's the first time David owned up to his sin as Nathan confronted him. And he said, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord hath also put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Howbeit because of this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. Nathan departed into his house. The Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. The child died. If you were to read further, here is the situation. Why Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 were written. David had sinned grievously against God. And because he hid that sin and basically deceived himself, he had to bear the burden of that sin for about a year because he was not going to confess it. He didn't want to own up to it. He didn't want to repent. He didn't want to confess and make things right. You can imagine the burden of sin when you don't confess it. If you've lived long enough as a child of God, you've had sin in your life to where there were times where you didn't confess when you ought to, and because of that, it put a great burden upon your heart. But when that burden is lifted, and there is confession, and things are made right with God, here's what we find in the first two verses in Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputes not iniquity, and in whom spirit there is no guile. Now I want to just park here for a moment, because what David is sharing in this psalm, just in these first two verses, is the joy of you, which anybody can have, when you confess your sins and the Lord forgives you of your sins. The word blessed there, I find it unique. It's actually in the plural. Oh, the blessedness says of the child of God who's confessed his sin, whose transgression is forgiven. In other words, because it's plural, the word blessed is plural, it intensifies the word blessed. In other words, deeply and richly blessed. What David does in these two verses, he tells us how evil sin is. In the Hebrew language, there are 15 different words for sin. Here David gives four of them. And you can see a progression of sin in it. The first word is the word transgression, which we find in verse 1. And the word for transgression could very very easily be defined as crossing the line. Trans. There's a line, there's a boundary, there's a barrier. God says go this far and don't go no further. 
you cross that line, you've transgressed against the Lord. So here David talks about the transgression. He has crossed the line. What that literally means, he was willfully defying God. Here's a child of God that willfully defies God's word and God's will. He took another man's wife. He had her husband killed. He covered it up and acted like nothing was wrong. Oh, David must really be a kind man because he married this widowed lady. It's what some thought. But you know, some people knew about David's sin. Joab knew about David's sin as far as Uriah having him killed. There was a baby that was born that died. You remember what the Word of God says back in the book of Genesis chapter 15 when God is speaking to Abraham in a dream. And he makes this little comment that the sins of the Amorites is not quite full. In other words, they did not inherit the promised land until the sins of the Amorites were full and then they would be cut off. In other words, God said, this far, no further. They went too far. There are times, if we go too far, what happens, the Word of God calls it transgression. David had experienced the transgression of willfully and defiantly going against what he knew God desired for his life. So he bore this burden... And what he says in verse 1, Blessed is he whose transgression, and notice what he says, is forgiven. The word forgiven in the context here, it means to have lifted off of. To pick something up and to lighten the burden. What David is saying, he says, because his transgressions were forgiven, the burden was taken off of his life. Whenever you sin, you always have a burden with that sin. Here David has experienced the burden being lifted. And what he says, he's describing, he is saying, Oh, the blessedness, says, says, I don't know if that's a word, but it's what he's saying. It's one blessing after another blessing after another blessing, having this burden off my back and off my soul. He says in the same verse, whose sin is covered. The word for sin is the word for missing the mark. It's kind of like an archery term. If you had a bullseye, it's kind of like you pull your arrow back, and as you pull that back and you let it go, it just totally misses the mark. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's like the arrow. It's missing the mark. We've all missed the mark of God's glory, God's standard in living up to it. We've come up short. Here David is talking about it in his own personal life, and he's talking about the sin of adultery. He's talking about the sin of murder. He's talking about deceitfulness. He's talking about not only deceiving others, but even deceiving his own heart. But here he says, 
Blessed is the one whose sin is covered. The word covered, it means to be out of God's sight. It means to be concealed. Do you remember what they did to get sins out of God's sight in the Old Testament? You remember once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and they would take blood and they would cover the mercy seat. And that appeased the wrath of God. It put the sin out of sight. Here David is saying, blessed is that man whose sin is covered or his sin is hidden to where God does not see it. It is only the blood that can take away sin. But he continues on in verse 2 and he says, Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputes not iniquity. Here is another word for his sinfulness. And he's describing it and you can see there is the transgression. There's crossing over the line and then there is the sin. There is the willful disobedience. There's the sin of missing God's standard of what he should be living up to. Then there's the iniquity he's talking about here. The word iniquity, it means moral crookedness or perverseness. You know what? When you murder someone, as in David's situation, this is not limited to that, but in David's situation, when you murder someone so you can have their wife and then you have their husband killed and then you lie about it and you plot and lie. There's moral perverseness. You see how the sin starts affecting more and more of the person? What this sin did in David's life, it literally corrupted his character. But I want you to notice what David says here concerning the iniquity. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputes not iniquity. David committed iniquity, but hear what we read, that iniquity was not put to the account of David. It was not imputed unto his account. If you have sinned, you confess your sin... The Lord forgives your sin. Your sin is covered by the blood of Christ. It's taken away. It is not put to your account. You see what David is teaching here is the principle of what Christ died for concerning our sins. He goes on to say in the last part concerning sin and in whose spirit there is no guile. The word guile means deceit. In whose spirit there is no Deceit. For months on end, David lived deceitfully trying to hide his sin from others. He was deceiving others about what he had done. All until he was confronted by Nathan the prophet. Listen to what David wrote in Psalm 51 and verse 6. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. In the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. 
as David is writing concerning the sin in his life, even in Psalm 51, he's talking about truth in the inward parts. You see what David was doing? He was deceiving himself about his own sin. And you know what? You can be blind to your own sin and you can try to justify your sin when you sin. But here's what happens if you do that. You've got to bear a burden. And that burden will not be lifted until you confess your sins and get right with God. You see the weightiness of what David is going through here in Psalm 32. What he says in the next couple of verses, he looks back upon sin's effect upon his life. How did this sin affect him during that time before he confessed? He said, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. Anybody in here feel like your bones are getting old? <laughs> you know what David's talking about. He, he, he's talking about he, he has got such a burden upon him. His conscience is condemning him because there's unconfessed sin. And as long as that sin's unconfessed, his conscience is still condemning him. Though he thinks nobody else knows about it, his conscience is still condemning him. The Word of God says, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. In other words, he just lost all of his energy. He had no energy. He was drained. It was hard to live because God's hand was upon him. And you see what happens when God's hand is upon you in this way, in a disciplining way? It zaps you. It zaps his energy. Let me tell you, sin is always wrong. Sin is never worthwhile. Just because culture changes does not mean sin changes. Sin is still sin. People want to change the definition of sin. People want to... Have you noticed in our day and time everybody's offended about something? And if you call them a wrong pronoun, they're offended about what you call them. They're just waiting to get offended. Let me tell you, we as God's children should not be scared to offend somebody with truth. But I'm not talking about slapping them in the face with truth. I'm talking about speaking the truth in love. Do not feed the person's lie. Don't feed it to them. If they're living a lie, they need to be confronted with truth. And don't be scared of telling truth. Hear what happened. Because David knew his sin. There was literally groaning going on. It says he roared all the day long. That, that means he's groaning in his life because of the pain. He was emotionally distraught. He's depressed. And he ends that section right there with Selah. Ponder that. Think upon that. Because the turning point to this chapter is in verse 5. As he looks back upon his sin, he relates to what sin does. When you start to sin, you don't see all the effects of how that sin's going to affect your life and other people's around you. And it may not be immediately, but it will have consequences. So what verse 5 tells us 
it tells us of David's confession. Notice what he says in verse 5. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgression unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. What do you think about that? Ponder that one for a moment. He describes sin in three different ways here in his confession. Now, let me tell you, over in Psalm 51, you remember what he said, and he's talking to God. He says, against you and you only have I sinned. Now, he sinned against people, but your sin, anytime you sin, it's ultimately against God. You ultimately offend God when you sin. And that's what David's done. So he acknowledges his sin unto God. What does it mean to acknowledge your sin unto God? It means if you acknowledge it, you make it known. It's not like God don't already know, but you're owning up to your sin. You're being accountable for your sin and you're confessing that you're agreeing with God that you have sin. You're, you're finally admitting it. Notice here he says, I have not hid. That's the same term that's used back in verse 1, whose sin is covered. That means he has not covered his sin after he was confronted with by Nathan. He didn't try to cover over his sin. He didn't try to hide his sin. He exposed it for what it was. And David said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. To own up to your sin is kind of like many, many years ago when I was a wee little boy. I remember jumping off my front porch. As I jumped off that front porch, it was a lot higher than this. It must have been about that high at that time. No, I'm kidding. But it had a flower pot that was right on the edge. And I was being he-man. I jumped over the flower pot. My mom comes outside. She said, who broke my flowers? I didn't know I broke the flowers, but I jumped over them, so I broke the flowers. Little did I know, I didn't know this, but she was peeping out the kitchen window. <laughs> I felt convicted at a young age. I felt very convicted about the flowers. You know what I did? I fessed up quick. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> she forgave me. But you know what? If I'd have lied about that, I probably got whooped. <laughs> if I'd lied about that and she had not confronted me with that, I would have felt very guilty. I would have felt very miserable about lying to my mom. It's pretty much why I fessed up. I was at a very tender age. David says, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. In other words, he's going to speak openly to the Lord about his sin. Whereas he's been hiding from, the, from this situation, talking about this situation... Listen to how he, when he says, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. In Psalm 51.3, he says, 
For I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is ever before me. He owns up to it. The problem in our day and time, people don't want to own up to their sin. People don't want to be accountable for their sinfulness. David confesses his sin, and the Word of God says, And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. The Lord forgave him. Forgave the iniquity. You remember what the word forgives means? Back in verse 1, whose transgression is forgiven, blessed is that person. You remember what that word forgiven means? Here he uses it again. You have you forgave us the iniquity of my sin. It literally means to have a burden. And sin is a burden. But it's having that burden lifted off of you. Why some people would rather have the burden upon them and not confess their sin, it probably goes back to the root of pride. Because according to what David's writing here in this psalm, by inspiration of the Spirit, God is quicker to forgive than we are quick to confess. God is ever ready to forgive. But our problem is we're so slow in confessing our sins. So what David does in verses 6 through 11, he's going to give counsel Whenever you experience something in your life and God's brought you through it and he's given you understanding how he's working in your life, what David does, he shares that with others. He says, I'm going to counsel you about sin. Notice what he says in verse 6. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto you in a time when you may be found. In other words, you need to pray, confessing your sins. You need to seek forgiveness. And notice what he goes on to say in that verse. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto thee. The floods, as they were coming up, like raging waters. The chastening floods of God's power, because of... Your sin, my sin, it always brings the consequences. So what do you do when God is chastening you? For the Lord says He loves whom He chastens. That's a comforting thought. If you get chastened and you've done wrong, you know you belong to the Lord. But what does He do as these flood waters are coming up? He says, they shall not come nigh unto him. He says, you are my hiding place. When the storms hit in life, you must go to your hiding place, your place of refuge. You must have faith in the Lord. He is my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall compass me about with songs of deliverance. Think about that. In the midst of the storms, you seek shelter in the Lord. You confess your sin. You make things right. And what does God do? He preserves you. And He encompasses you about with songs. 
He gives you psalm after psalm after psalm. Boy, you talk about that. That's joy. When God puts a song in your heart, when you've been carrying a burden and hiding your sin, and you turn from that and you confess it, there are songs of deliverance. Selah. It is one thing if a person is getting out of jail, but it's quite another if they start living a godly life. You know what? In our day and time, they are letting a lot of criminals go. It is a slap on their hand. And what are they doing because they get a quick pardon like that? You read stories about how they go back and do crime. They go right back to the way they were living. Why is that? Because all they're doing, they haven't conquered sin. Sin has not been conquered in their life. They're still living a life of sin, a pardon in that situation that's going on throughout the United States in many areas. It's just a license to keep on sinning. Don't you see it in L.A., New York? They do a crime, they put them in jail, they're out before the police can get back on the street. Oh, they had such a hard life. They don't need to be punished so bad. So they go out and hurt somebody else. David gives a voice of experience. He says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. David had been through some thick waters. He had done some horrible things. But ultimately sinned against God. So he's trying to guide other people. And you know what? I don't doubt David wrote this for his day and time, but God preserved it for you and I in our day and time. He says, listen to my instruction. Listen to my teaching. Listen to the way which you should walk. I will guide you. He says, be ye not as the horse or as the mule which has no understanding. Now, what's David talking about here? Don't be like a horse. I told you don't be like a horse, so you probably would agree with me. Okay, no problem. What's he saying when don't be like a horse? When David sinned with Bathsheba, he was like a wild horse rushing to the scene. Nothing stopped him. He was raring to go. But when it came to confessing his sin, he was like a mule. What is a mule like? Stubborn, hard-headed. The mule will sit down and you'll prod him to get up and he won't do nothing. He's a mule. He's acting like a mule. You, you ever heard the expression, you're stubborn as a mule? That's what David's talking about. Here he says, They have no understanding whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. In other words, don't be stubborn like the mule, and don't be wild like that horse. Don't ignore God's sovereignty. Submit to that sovereignty, and don't be unsubmissive to His sovereignty, because here's what He will do if you are like that. He'll put a bit in your mouth and a bridle, In other words, there will be consequences 
You know how you control a horse or a mule? By bit and bridle, putting that in their mouth. And you can jerk that thing around all over the place. Even so, the Lord whom he loves, he chastens. If you don't confess your sin, you see what happened in David's life, and he's talking about it here. If you ignore God's sovereignty, and you ignore you've sinned against God, and you're his child, he's going to put a bit and bridle in your mouth, so to speak, or he is going to bring trials and troubles in your life. Now, what does a trial do in your life? I've said this time and time again. Trials will either make you bitter or better. Trials will make you just angry at God. Or you will be thanking God. What's, what's the design? Why did God design trials when you are in a rebellious state? You're not confessing sin. Why did God design them? What did he design them for? What's the purpose of a bridle or a bit? You know what, if you put that bridle or bit in the horse's mouth, you can pull that horse close to you, couldn't you? What does God do that for us? He's drawing us close to him. And you know what, you can keep that horse or mule close to you with the bridle or bit. What is the purpose of the trials that God's bringing in your life? It's to draw you closer to him. And it's to keep you near to him. In verses 10 and 11, what you see, and you close out this psalm, it's a contrast between the wicked and the righteous. I want you to notice it says in verse 10, Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusts in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. In other words, if you do wickedly, you're going to have many sorrows. If you trust in the Lord, the Lord will show you mercy. God showed David mercy. He said that sin was not put to his account. The trespasses, they were taken away. He was forgiven. You see, because David trusted in the Lord, he confessed his sin. And mercy compassed him about again. And you know what? We can go on living in unconfessed sin and be miserable and have the weight of that sin. Or you can confess things. And you know what happens when you confess things? Listen to what it says. Blessed, blessed, blessed. Richly and abundantly blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputes not iniquity, and whose spirit there is no guile. So he ends this psalm, verse 11, Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Here, he's saying basically what he said in verses 1 and 2. Those who have experienced the forgiveness of the Lord, be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Shout for joy, all you that are upright in heart. There's a good equivalent to this over in the New Testament. I close with this. Over in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I pray that your heart is right with the Lord. And if there's sin and needs to be confessed, you get it right with Him. Not right with me, not right with somebody in here. Get it right with the Lord. There was a preacher downtown, Pastor Elder Ward. I don't know if you, how many of y'all remember old Pastor Elder Ward. His comment on Psalm 51, he said, and he was using this as an illustration in Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. He said, if David had not sinned, you would never have Psalm 51 or Psalm 32. Now, that does not give the license to sin, but you see how God in his sovereignty worked all things together for good to where we can reap the lessons David learned in his life and have instruction for our life. God is so sovereign. It's mind-boggling. How he can take some of the worst situations and make something beautiful out of your life and mine. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. The power in your word. How your spirit uses your word and applies it to our hearts. We ask that you'd help us to grow in your grace and knowledge. We ask that you would work in the hearts and lives of your children, drawing them to you, drawing each and every one of us to you with cords of love and sometimes with bits and bridle that ultimately you may be glorified For your name's sake, we pray you do a wondrous work in the hearts and lives of your people that others may see and fear and know that you are God for Christ's sake. Amen. And you are dismissed.